Hello, I'm Elise Houston, Advisory Services Manager at JNBA Financial Advisors in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Today's conversation focuses on navigating executive and key employee compensation options. I am joined by my colleagues, Nick, Nick Scheibel, an advisor and member of JNBA's Financial Planning Committee, and Michael Bellata, a senior advisor and an investment strategist on our investment committee. Both Nick and Mike, along with our team, actively discuss planning strategies with individuals and families to help achieve their personal goals. Welcome, Nick and Mike. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Elise. Thanks, Elise. Nick, each employer and the incentives they offer to their executives will be different. But in general, why do employers offer these types of plans and what benefits are most commonly offered to executives? Thanks, Elise. There's two main reasons really that employers offer these types of plans to their executives. One is really to allow them to share in the company's success and the growth of the stock. And the other one's more of a motivating factor. You know, if you have options or, or stock in the company, it gives you more of an incentive to, to be motivated to see the continued growth of the company. Employer compensation plans can come in many forms, but the two we see most commonly today are restricted stock units and employer stock options. So restricted stock units are shares in the company that when they are granted to you are unvested, which means that you can't sell them and you don't really own them. Uh, The restricted stock will will vest over a period of years, at which point you can sell the stock or elect to keep it. When the stock vests, those shares uh, will be taxed as income to you. So often uh, employees will choose to sell some of those shares. It's called sell to cover, uh, meaning having your employer sell enough shares to cover the taxes owed. But you may choose actually to sell all of the shares when they vest. And that's really more about a diversification strategy. And that's something that Mike will talk about later. Great. Thank you. So that was mainly the restricted stock units. Tell us a little bit about um, stock options as well. So stock options are a little more complex from a planning point of view. Essentially, a stock option is a right to buy a share of your employer's stock for a certain price at a certain date in the future. Much like your restricted stock, the stock options will vest over time. So if you leave your company before your options vest, you will lose them. When an option vests, unlike restricted stock, there's no tax owed. You owe the tax when you exercise the option. So it's very important to work with your tax planner because there are complex rules around stock option vesting and the tax you have to pay. The other really important thing to note is that stock options do expire even after they vest. So you'll wanna keep an eye on your options and make sure that you don't let options expire uh, without exercising them if you have an opportunity to, to make a profit. Great. Thank you. Very helpful. Mike, I think, um, you know, as Nick alluded to, the other piece of this then is also the investment strategy of it. So when thinking about a client's overall investment portfolio and saving strategy, what recommendations or guidelines would you provide in terms of just how much exposure you should have to the company that you're currently working for? Yeah, thanks, Elise. And that's a Great question and one that we deal with quite often uh, because it's a fact that people like to invest in the companies that they're familiar and comfortable with, which often then comes back around, of course, to the stock that they work for. Uh, And even if they don't purchase the shares directly, they may receive them through various employer plans, such as Nick mentioned with restricted stock or stock options or, or, you know, other types of programs. It's, there's no set in stone rule, but generally speaking, it's widely thought that a single security uh, or an individual stock should not exceed about 5% or so of somebody's total equity holdings. 
or more broadly, if you're looking at net worth somewhere in the 10 to 15% range, um, you know, and again, these are individual companies versus talking about a broadly diversified mutual fund or ETF. Now that obviously gets compounded when it's your company stock, because you're also dependent on the success for your livelihood as well. So a couple of good examples of that would be somebody who's in the real estate business and whose livelihood is selling real estate, but then they also own, you know, 10 or 15 different real estate companies in their portfolio. Well, if the economy slows to the point that the real estate market starts to tank, well, their livelihoods on the line, they're losing income. In addition to that, they're also losing worth within their portfolio from all of those stocks going down. So they're getting hit on both sides. Uh, another one is somebody whose compensation is tied you know, more directly to just profitability of a company where, again, if those earnings go down, they're getting hit in their paycheck and then they're also getting affected with their portfolio value going down. Now, the situation gets compounded if you're in a position within your company where you potentially have inside information or a position of leadership within the company where you have blackout periods and you're not able to sell the stock outside of a few small windows. And another complexity is, you know, if you're working for a company where the shares are relatively illiquid, meaning there's a fewer number of buyers out there versus a company whose stock is traded on the public exchange who has millions of buyers out there, you know, that's also a consideration that needs to be taken into account too, is kind of the ability to, when you want to get to the point where you start to diversify, how able are you to do it? Uh, you know, lastly, another consideration would be a company's overall risk profile. Uh, people working for an emerging technology company or any high growth industry is likely to have a much higher probability of gaining wealth from participation in the company. But the other side of that is, is they're also susceptible to losing significant amounts. And one might think, well, if I work for a stable company like Procter & Gamble or Kimberly Clark or whatever versus you know, some technology company of choice, they're safer. And in most cases, that's true. However, a prime example would be General Electric, which was thought of as the bellwether of, you know, American companies and stocks. And a few years back, somebody would have thought that they were pretty much bulletproof in that as well. Well, their average return over the last 15 years in that stock is minus 3%. So the bottom line there a la Enron, WorldCom, Lehman Brothers, is that you can never be too sure of the future of a company to the point where you really put all of your future livelihood on the line as well. Now, I did leave out some positives for owning company stock too, and many of them you can buy the, the shares at a discount within employee stock purchase plans. You can possibly take advantage of a provision called net unrealized appreciation within a 401k, or ultimately you just have a bit more knowledge about how the company's doing, right? Without having insider information, you know that the company's doing well, that their profits are great. You know, are there risks out there that are being underappreciated and so on? And you do typically have a little bit better idea, you know, but as we often say, is the upside takes care of itself, but the downside is what proves to be problematic. And so the issue becomes more about risk management than anything else. Yeah. So a lot of great information there, Mike. I think 
at this point might be good to just share if you have any tips just around what could somebody do to either reduce this risk or help manage the problem? Sure. Uh, The first thing is to evaluate if there are ways that you can reduce or manage the accumulation, meaning stop adding the exposure in the first place. So if you're putting money into a 401k and part of those funds are being directed to the company stock plan, you can very easily discontinue money going there, i.e. cap your exposure within the 401k plan. A second thing would be, again, within the 401k plan, if you're already heavily allocated to the company stock fund, is to begin to diversify out of that. And the biggest thing there is, is that there's no tax consequence to it. So, you know, if it's within the 401k or an IRA or another qualified plan, you can typically, you know, diversify away from shares, sell shares, what have you, and diversify out. Uh, Another option that we use quite a bit is gifting the shares. And so if you have a lot of shares of company stock, that's highly appreciated. And if you sold it, you'd incur a big tax hit. You can gift that money to a charity or a nonprofit. And when they sell the shares, they don't pay the income tax on it or the capital gains tax, uh, what have you. And so you're really transferring a liability to an organization that doesn't then have to pay the associated tax. So that's a great way to begin to at least lessen the amount of shares. And then last but not least is just sharing, uh, selling shares outright in a tax efficient manner. But one thing to make sure of is that the income and the capital gains are going to be taxed at long term capital gains rates and not short term capital gains or ordinary income, which will have a much more detrimental impact to, you know, the money that gets put in your pocket at the end of the day. Great. Well, thank you both Mike and Nick for a great discussion today. And thank you very much for listening. We hope you will visit jnba.com and tune in to our other podcasts. Thank you for your continued trust in JNBA, not just as your financial advisor, but also as your advocate. Important disclosure information. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Therefore, it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or undertaken by JMBA financial advisors or any non-investment related content made reference to directly or indirectly in the podcast, will be profitable, equal any historical performance levels, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. JMBA is neither a law firm nor a certified public accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. Moreover, you should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this podcast serves as a receipt of, or as a substitute for, personalized investment advice from JMBA. Please remember that it remains your responsibility to advise JMBA in writing if there are any changes to your personal, financial situation, or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, revising our previous recommendations and or services, or if you would like to impose, add, or to modify any reasonable restrictions to your investment advisory services. A copy of our current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request. The scope of the services to be provided depends upon the needs of the client and the terms of the engagement. Please see important disclosure information at www.jmba.com backslash disclosure.